Abe. Hey, Brandon. Uh, welcome back to the Slip Angle Podcast. How are you doing today? You know what? We're doing really well today. We're doing fantastic. So um, it's it's day three, and you're the first person that we've recorded with today. I know that uh, you just finished the on-track portion of the event, and now you are in transit from Texas to NOLA Motorsports Park. Over the last couple of days, you've struggled with uh, hydraulics and the all-wheel drive system. Tell me uh, the saga. Yeah, so we're, we're not quite driving just yet. We're uh, in good uh, one-lap fashion trying to support uh, the... Uh, Super K guys, Andy and Alex, because they're having some trans issues. They, they were able to complete the uh, the afternoon session, but not without kind of getting a little bit of heat in that DCT trans. So they're they're sorting through some issues, and we're just kind of hanging out the side of the road for a little bit. But figured, hey, we uh, we can do this little podcast and uh, tell you guys that yes, indeed, we are now all wheel drive again, and we lost our all wheel drive after the autocross on our commute um to memphis and what we think happened is we had the the pump that was running to the uh, haldex control unit on a little bit of an aggressive setting and it was activating that that uh, pump too often on the highway in the transit and uh cooked the pump seized the pump and lost all wheel drive because no pump no haldex no rear diff and so we were a complete front wheel drive vehicle at memphis and then the morning session here today at eagles canyon um, we had the help of some great friends down here in Texas. You might have heard of a guy, Mike DeSold of DeSold Designs. No, no, I've never heard of that guy. Who's that guy? Yeah, right. So he was kind enough to pick up um, a pump that I had arranged for uh, purchase already uh, near him, somewhat near him in a shop, and he had one of his guys go grab it, and they cruised up and delivered it to the track. So That's not the first Mike, time Mike has helped you out on one lap, is it? Mike is, he's a good dude, and uh, yeah, he give you the shirt off his back, so hats off. Thank you, Mike. If you're listening, I can't tell you how much that means to me, but yeah, he rescued us, got us the pump, and to be honest, changing the pump was not a real difficult task. It's right on the bottom of the car, so you have to get under the car, but it's two 10-millimeter bolts and a wiring harness. We had to to redo the wiring harness, um, but easy access, new pump fired it up and went on the lunch, the lunch tour this, you know, today and uh, did a couple little test hits and we had all wheel drive. It was good to go and told Micaiah because, you know, if you're driving the track, you're not allowed to look on out on the lunch tour. You know, it could be an unfair advantage, but uh, gave him the heads up. You're good to go. And he went and laid it down and he went, I think he went faster. Pretty confident he went faster. So uh, two questions then. First is, do you know, I mean, you, you kind of speculate why it failed. Uh, do you know how you're going to prevent it from failing again? Yeah, so very good question. We can go right into the controls of what type of duty it's running and, you know, what percentage of throttle is going to co- cause the pump to activate. Um, so we had originally done some logging and we were maybe like 20% duty at most on our transit. And so we said, okay, we'll just have, have the pump activate above 25% and give us a little cushion. Well, it turns out that's not smart when you start trying to keep up with some of the other cars like the gas monkey guys. Um, Cause then you're riding above 
that 20, 25% duty cycle. So we raise the parameters <laughs> before it will kick on. So in transit, we're just going to unplug the Haldex. So we're running front wheel drive in transit. So we can also just avoid even having the risk. So, so yeah, we, uh, we're on our way to go pick up another spare pump just in case it happens again. There's one more in the state of Texas. And uh, as we cruise through Dallas, uh, we'll stop and pick up uh, another pump. And that so, way, if it happens again, we've got a little bit of a plan. So I'm I'm interested now. How much are these pumps? Um, wholesale or retail? <laughs> what are you it's paying? Like yeah, it's like a two hundred dollar pump. It's not it's not crazy horrible expensive. That's not. I mean, that's a lot, but it's not terrible. No, um, it's not. It's not inhibitory to continuing on with one lap. Right. And especially since it's such a quick service. Um, now, because it's like a hydraulic pump, is there a um, like a bleeding procedure that you have to do once it's installed? Or how does that work? No, the Haldex takes some fluid. And as long as the Haldex fluid is, is full, uh, then we're good. So we have a little extra Haldex fluid. And uh, we have a, just a simple transfer pump to pump more in if we need to. So, yeah, no, it's... It's, there's no bleeding procedure. So I'll be interested when you guys get back. I wonder if, uh, will you just throw these pumps in the trash or are you going to try and rebuild them? <laughs> um, it, the, uh, that was the exact question I had for uh, Micaiah because I wasn't sure if they're rebuildable or if it's worth having around. I said, do we need keep it so we could service it or rebuild it? And he's like, nope, they're trash. So, oh, man. Bummer. They went in the garbage. Well, that's... I guess that's how it goes sometimes. Um, yeah. I don't know that results from this afternoon have been posted yet, but how did you do uh, overall, or how were you overall uh, as of this morning? As of this morning, I believe we had been nudged out of the top 10. Um, after this morning, uh, Micaiah, um, he he did very well considering he was on front-wheel drive. I think he finished 13th overall. There was a little bit of a, an, an interesting thing that happened that kept the fast guys from being really fast this morning. The track had a bunch of oil dry on it. And so the first group that went out, they were dusting off all this oil dry. So it, it kept getting faster and faster and faster. So you will see times from this morning get substantially quicker th- to this afternoon. I think I think Tom McGorman shaved like 20 seconds off of his time from this morning. So he... I. I believe he ran a two or excuse me a six minute three second uh, this afternoon so if you've seen the morning runs at all uh, that'll give you a little heads up of like how much faster it got yeah uh if if that's right that's 24 seconds so so yeah pretty substantial increase so um i guess the follow-up is uh we Adam and I fully expected Tom to be quick uh, in whatever car he was driving. Are you at all surprised at how um, strong that setup seems to be? I mean, the automatic gearbox was kind of a uh, an unknown, I would say. Um, but I've seen that car time attack before, and I didn't expect it to be as strong as it has been at this event so far. Yeah, I think the, the name of one lap, the name of the game is having a car that already performs really well from the factory and has a lot of support from, you know, factory testing. So if you take a factory race car out to an event like this, theoretically, it should do well. And then if you have a great driver, it should do really well. And, and Tom is certainly that. He is a wonderfully talented driver. 
So I expect them to be tough to beat all week. I think it's at this point, it's Tom's to lose. So he's got to be on his game and, and drive well the rest of the week and hopefully they don't have any car issues so i was i was thinking about exactly what you just said and how um practically the best driver in the fastest factory car typically has the best chance to win and and because of that i was thinking you know one lap would be a lot more fun if it were a a modified car event only because it's my opinion that one lap is exciting (laughs) When things no one lap is exciting when things don't go right. And, uh, you know, if you're in a factory car, most of the time things go right. And you're at the hotel by nine o'clock. True. True. Yeah. I mean, we always had a lot of excitement in the Evo. That's for dang sure. You know, doing motor swaps and driveways and clutch jobs and like, you know, an hour and a half. And then the first time you test, test the clutch is launching a, a post. Lots of when you're working with aftermarket parts. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely a challenge, and I think it's a a big difference between driving a, you know, a factory spec, you know, Corvette or or Camaro cars that are incredibly capable from the factory. You compare that to what you're running right now. Um, in terms of horsepower, the the amount. The horsepower advantage that you have over a, a ZL11LE actually isn't that much. Uh, but the big caveat is that you're doing it with fewer cylinders and higher boost and a whole bunch of modifications in order to get you there. And with that just comes a little bit of uncertainty. No doubt. Um, I don't think we ran anything over about 500 mil bars yet either. Yeah, so we've kind of kept the power somewhat moderate and low just in these little teething issues that we have because obviously we want to save the car and if if we're you know needing to tap into that power it's there but we're still not even at the point where we want to add power just yet it's it's other things that we're sorting through and making sure that the car is going to remain solid so you know we came into this event event without doing any testing with so many changes um i think this car has crazy crazy potential the engine and, and trans when they're working proper and the power's getting down, it's a quick car. Um, but it's not just the engine and the trans. We've got you know things like Haldex pumps to worry about, and the standalone ECU, how it all integrates to even the suspension. So we're we're sorting through some of those things right now. And had we come a little more prepared with the, you know, we're just, sorry we're on some back roads doing some back and forths here, getting ab workout. Had we been a little bit more prepared with the car, um, I think this could really bring the heat. But we're still we're still being conservative just to make sure that we survive. Well, you know, I don't think there's any shame in that game. And given the amount of changes that have been made in, to the car over the last year, um, practically it's not terribly surprising that you guys are, you know, figuring some stuff out and working through some, some teething issues. Because it seems like you're always... Uh, making those kinds of improvements uh, when, or making those kinds of changes and working through stuff when you make such big changes on the car. And it looks like uh, we lost Brandon. Uh, He's out driving on back roads in the middle of Texas. Uh, But we really thank uh, the boys for being on the show. Hey, are you back? Yeah. 
car. Yep. I lost you for a minute. In and out. So that's what happens in one lap when we're on the back roads trying to go to find another Haldex pump. Um, well, I, uh, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I really appreciate you guys being on the show. Uh, best of luck for the rest of the transit. Find that spare pump and uh, be ready to turn it up tomorrow. So uh, thanks for Sounds joining. Good, appreciate it. Talk Thank to you me. soon, buddy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Slip Angle. Uh, it's Monday evening, and uh, the one-lap drivers, I guess this is uh, day three, the one-lap drivers are driving from Eagles Canyon to New Orleans Motorsports Park. Uh, really long transit today, and I'm joined by uh, the wonderful uh, Mrs. Ann Hollis. Uh, Andy Hollis is co-pilot and i guess partner in crime from one lap for pretty much forever and how long have you been doing one lap of america so we think this is our 11th year i missed one year when our daughter had um i just had a baby and i stayed home however i had to fly in because i couldn't miss a whole that but um yeah we think this is our 11th year that's that's a lot of dedication and only recently have you been uh, in a car that makes things comfortable. Uh, tell me about what those first years were like in the One Lap CRX. Sure. So we had um, a gutted out Civic and then a CRX that had nothing in it except a roll cage uh, and two seats, no air conditioning, no radio, no interior. And... Uh, one of my good friends, Peter Lear, suggested that I absolutely do not do the transit in the Kirky race seat. So Andy would change out and put a stock seat in for the transits. But the, the last straw of driving those cars was we were doing a transit across Michigan. And I'm sure if anybody's ever driven across those highways, you know how bumpy they are. And I literally bounced and hit my head in the ceiling of the CRX, oh, no. which I was yeah, and I was in a car accident. The reason I don't race anymore is I've had to have a cervical fusion. So that was really not a good experience. And so then we uh, somehow went down this crazy slippery road of Clarence. Um, and people say, are they comfortable? And I will never, ever complain again. The seats are not, you know, adjustable as far as front to back. So right now, in order for me to see over the steering wheel, I'm literally every couple minutes just sitting up straight. Otherwise, I can't see because I, I sit low. Um, but yeah, it, it has air conditioning. It has a radio. It has heated seats. It has lumbar support. So it's good. <laughs> and it has hands-free uh, uh, phone calls. So that helps. This is true. This is true because we would not be having this call uh, in the CRX because you couldn't hear anything. Well, you could. You could hear vibration and bangs. Uh, yesterday, <laughs> I tried to give a call to Alex Moss and Andy Smedegard, who are good friends of mine, and uh, all you could hear on their end was uh, engine noise. So, yeah, I, uh, I'm sure it's a big change, and I think comfort is relative. Um, in your experience, though. Uh, would you say that the the Honda CRX was more or less reliable than the cars you've been taking recently? <laughs> hey now, hey now, hey now. <laughs> well, let, me tell, let me tell you what is guaranteed at least the week before one lap and during one lap. And the conversation goes like this. What do you think about a GT2 RS? No. What do you think about a Corvette? I hate those things. 
what do you think about a Mustang or a Camaro? No, no. And that basically lets you know the reliability of the McLaren because, um, yeah, and it's, it's so stressful because, you know, we're driving long transits and we did get a check engine light with the transit Saturday. Um, and so, you know, it clears itself, but in the back of your mind, you know, that's already not working. And then today, Andy had limp mode on the recon lap this morning. And so, you know, we're driving these long distances out in the middle of nowhere. Sometimes this route is a little bit better than some of the other ones we've done. And it's just difficult because there's nothing we can do. Now, that's on the good side in that if this thing goes, we're just done. Where when we had the CRX, you know, we did have many a night that we were pulling over and Andy was repairing things. So when I suggested that he just build a car for one lap again, he started to remind me about what those transits were like too. So that's the whole thing about this race. You know, there's the track driving, but you have to do these transits. And over the years, people have hit deer and they, they um, front spoilers have been taken out when they've hit roadkill. So, and just the staying awake, you know, um, it, it makes, it's not just track. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm, I guess I'm kind of excited for you though, because you guys get a little bit of excitement with the car that you're choosing to drive. Um, I, I have said before that I think one lap is the most interesting when the transits are filled with uh, unexpected situations, right? If, if you were driving a 100% stock car and everything went according to plan and you got to the hotel room every night at 8.30, I don't think one lap would be very interesting. That'd be fine, fine with me. We did it in my Cayenne one year. So yeah, that was awesome, quite frankly, because we had flooded, we had flooded roads, and there was uh, Jack Beecham was in an aerial Adam. So that's yeah, yeah Adam. And you know, literally, the water came up over the wheel wells. Wait, was Cayenne. that the uh, the year at High Plains? Uh, we went to High Plains. We also went to Pueblo, and it was pouring at Pueblo. Gotcha. We had to go to Crescent after that and you know so i called his dad and i said hey you need to tell jack to pull over because if he hits one of these low water things it's, it's gonna be it's gonna be bad very bad so So, uh, tell me about uh, your impression of the Porsches. There's an awful lot of cars that are Porsche this year in the field. Um, they're not nearly as dominant as I would have expected. Why do you think that is? I think there's uh, two things going on. One was tire choice, right? Yep. And they did really well today. So I don't know if you happen to look at the results from today, but this morning, the track had uh, oil dry over the entire track. So uh, they had a vintage race this past weekend that oiled down the track. And then today, apparently, because there were course walks, they didn't think they could sweep off the oil dry. So Andy was 27th this morning. Um, yeah, and the Porsches had a great day. Even in the afternoon when the conditions were better, they were pulling out 
of the churns. They can get on the power a lot sooner. Um, so, you know, it's just interesting. Each track, there is an advantage or a disadvantage to a particular car. So according to Billy Johnson, I had a long conversation with him today. Uh -huh. The correct car to have for one lap is a Porsche 992 Turbo S. So I will be contacting the Porsche dealer when I get home. <laughs> well, I, I would imagine that that car is very comfortable. Um, and it's like the kind of the fastest of the fast at the moment. Um, do you think uh, that that it has enough track composure to, to compete with the McLaren? I have no idea. You know, the, here's the thing. We had a GT3. Andy had bought it for me right when I had my accident. And, he, and I didn't get to race it, but he did. And he was not comfortable with rear engine. Yeah, it's rear right. engine. So... I have to respect that. He's going 180 miles down the straightaway. I am not going to ask him to get a car that he's not comfortable driving. You know, I mean, that's just that's just not right. And so the McLaren, for some reason, has gotten him into this huge comfort zone that now he doesn't think there's anything else that compares to it. But I cannot justify spending this kind of money on a car when it was in the shop for four and a half months under new warranty. I mean, we just got it back before one lap and you know here we are day one having issues with it again so it's a real struggle um, and that's truly why we've had that conversation i mean a couple years ago the 12 scenes in the shop broke the week of one lap i literally went and bought a gtr on monday and we left for one lap on tuesday i mean it was crazy and he hated that car too so i, I don't know you know <laughs> so, it's all good um Kind of moving away from that, I had uh, I had gotten to know you just a little bit when uh, my wife and I, and my dad and my co-driver, uh, did one lap in 2016. And something okay. that I remember about you is uh, your your like baked goods in the paddock are kind of famous, <laughs> and and everybody looks forward to them. When when did you start being the baker for the paddock? Well, so I always used to make us chocolate chip cookies, and I do believe it was a year that all those STIs were blowing up, and Andy felt really sorry for one of our friends, and so he gave them some of our chocolate chip cookies, and I still, when I think about this, I don't know how this evolved into, into what it is today, and this year, I thought, I wonder if I could make enough boxes for every team, but at that point, it was 85 teams. And I, I just, you know, so I feel horrible because I don't think for people that I don't know. And every year I miss somebody. Um, but, yeah, it's, you know, it's a, it's a labor of love. How many do I make? Yeah. Probably about a thousand. I mean, no, but how many boxes? Uh, 20, 30, 35 boxes, 36 boxes. My goodness. Um, with a couple dozen in each box probably so I, I don't know what it is but i start baking and freezing and you know the worst thing now is andy can't have flour or sugar so i try to bake when he's not home so he doesn't come home sorry i'm passing somebody hang on one second can you hear the car uh, i can actually it sounds great <laughs> oh, it's such a cool car anyway um you know so i try to bake when he's not home because that's not fair and so i, I feed him one cookie a day have one on this crazy thing. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, I don't even eat the cookies anymore. <laughs> it just started when she was making them for me and us, and I don't even eat them anymore. So, so ask me what we had for, wait, ask me what we had for uh, dinner tonight. 
Well, what'd you have first? Okay, well, first we stopped at Bucky's and we had a disgusting barbecue sandwich that we split. But what I packed emergency food because it just seems on some of these long transits, you get into this mode and you just don't want to stop. So our emergency go-to dinner, which we had tonight, are peanut butter crackers. Okay. That was it. Well, uh, <laughs> I can tell that you're from Texas because at least around here, Bucky's yeah. is such an experience that the brisket or pork sandwich there is, uh, well, there, there's not really anything to complain about. Yeah, we tried to get barbecue in Arkansas last night, and all the barbecue places were closed. I guess maybe they don't, aren't open on Sundays. So we did a curbside order of Cracker Barrel. We pulled in. Dinner was brought out to the car. In like two minutes, we were eight and on the road. It wasn't 10 minutes. So that's, that's fantastic. So that's our record of a sit-down. We have done a 15-minute Cracker Barrel when we walked in and like told the girl exactly, you know, we need this food immediately. We're in a race, and we were in and out in 15. But the curbside, you know, yesterday. So yeah. That's that's awesome. So uh, another question about cookies. When you're baking oh, a thousand oh cookies, how <laughs> yes. like how many days of baking does that take? Um, it's at least a, a full week, like seven, at least a full week. Um, you know, and I do, I double, I double up a lot and there's certain ones that people really like. So I try to do those and yeah, probably a full week. You know, I had to go down, I had to, I put them in our two freezers. Plus I had to take them down to our daughter's, uh, freezer. So it's quite a bit, but you know what? They all love it. And when I see the smile on their face, it's worth it worth all the baking. Well, I have to imagine now that you've got everyone so used to your, your generosity that if one year you showed up without cookies, uh, there would just be like complete sadness in the pack. You know, I really struggled this year because as you know, we had that horrible storm in Austin um, that wiped out, you know, uh, power and water and our house, our brand new house was flooded. So it's been kind of a tough year between that and COVID and I just, I wasn't going to do it. And then the more I thought about it, I'm like, you know what? That brings joy to other people. And if that's what I can contribute, then, you know, I I, I can do that. And once I got started, I was fine. But, you know, part of what I do is just check on everybody during the week. You know, I kind of, kind of like a traffic bomb. I just go around and, you know, I can sense sometimes and I'll let Brock know, hey, you know, something seems to be going on. You might want to check with them. We just, Brock and I just have an amazing relationship. And so, we'll, you know, I'll take him little tidbits every once in a while. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I'm wondering, I, I kind of uh, pay attention to the things that you regularly post on Facebook. Did you put any rattlesnake into any of those cookies? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> right? And Andy wasn't home. Here's the funny thing. We have a football player who lives next door to us. Pro football Pro football player. He called, his wife calls me and says, is Andy home? He has a snake between the houses. Andy was racing. So I go up. And Jamal comes out, and I'm like, Jamal, and he's like, I think the thing's dead. I'm like, you don't know that's dead. And he throws a rock at it. He says, see, the thing's dead. He turns around and just leaves me. Leaves me with this huge <laughs> rattlesnake. Oh, my goodness. So Andy has yet to see him, but um, he's going to be having a discussion about how he should be taking care of me. I should not be <laughs> That thing was big. And what, here's something I learned, which I don't know if you know this. Um, they can, oops, sorry, birds get back. They, the venom, after they're dead. Did you know that? I, it's, so their, their nervous system continues to work. 
So when you pick it up, you can't just you can't just get close to it. It can still bite you, and it's worse because it doesn't stop. So you get the full dose of venom. So my neighbor came came down with the pool, and we got the pool uh, cleaner out and, and put it in a box, and I labeled it "poisonous snake, do not open." <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, you have to wonder if the curiosity got the better of somebody, because if I saw a box that said that, I I imagine there'd be some people that would feel temptation to open it. Not me, though. I live in Indiana, and uh, I try and stay away from uh, poisonous desert snakes. Yeah, we're having a lot of them because there's that new new section going in, and so pretty every couple days there's a postal one. But that's the first I've ever been up close and personal. No thanks. I'm interested in doing that again. Well, no uh, rattlesnake cakes when you come down to the house next time. <laughs> uh, yikes. Well, uh, I just want to say thank you so much for being on the show and bringing joy to so many one lappers. And uh, I hope you guys have a great transit. And I will check in with you in the next day or two. Okay. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for checking in with us. And I'm going to make sure you get us fast tomorrow. All right. Take care. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. Welcome I back am- to Slip Angle. I've got Robert Bierhout on the line, who is uh, of 1010's podcast fame, and he's driving a C8 Corvette in the one lap of America this week. Hi, Robbie. Yes? What's going on? Oh, not much. We are blasting through Louisiana, heading to New Orleans right now. So uh, it's, it's day three. How have things gone so far? This is your first one lap, right? Yeah, first one lap, and I feel like I've been given preferential treatment. I feel like it's, I don't want to jinx myself, but it's gone way too well. Well, you're, you're driving a, a, a modern, uh, well-sorted car, so that helps a lot. Yeah, uh, we are currently sitting at 4,600 miles on the car. That's awesome. Yeah, so it's a, yeah, so it's a brand new C8. He, uh, Bill, my co-driver and the owner of the car, got it delivered last November. Uh, we've only had it out for one test day at uh, Raceway Park of the Midlands and then brought it here. So it's really not gotten a lot of drive time on it. Um, but we were lucky enough to have Paragon Performance um, hook us up with brakes and uh, rear axles. Hey, I know and, those guys. Uh, yep, yep, JP. Um, yeah, and uh, other than that, it's a... It's a stock c8 um we're not even running the uh the track suspension setup it's it's still the the factory setup oh like completely stock yeah so um i know that from the factory that car uh, was under tired especially up front Uh, what did you decide to use and what were the specs of the tires that you chose all right so we are running michelin pilot sport 4s's the safe choice Um, yep uh, I think we're doing 245s on the front. Is that right? What's over here? They're three in? Is that big of a difference? Okay. He thinks they're three something in the rear, but we're 245s in the front. And so. Seems like a big, that seems like a big difference. Right? Yeah, I think it is a big difference. I think 235 is factory. So, um, yeah, definitely. The want for more tire up front, I think, when you're pushing really hard. What's been your experience so far on track? Um, so far, it's gone really well. I actually, the autocross was probably the best autocross I've ever been to. So, 
like I, I used to do autocross all the time and then kind of got away from it. And then he offered to do the wet skid pad and then I did the autocross. We're basically splitting everything 50 50. So I don't know, like I walked away from the autocross feeling really good. I had, I started with like a 55, which was just me feeling out the track. On the second lap or second session, I got uh, down to a 50 and then finished with a 49, which I was pretty happy with considering how I just had. Hadn't done autocross in probably four or five years. Yeah. Um, just t- took a little bit to get comfortable with the car. Um, this has way more nannies than anything I, I have. I All the cars I have are no ABS, um, no traction control, no launch control, none of that. So basically, this is my first modern car. Yeah, it's kind of probably like putting Adam in a modern car. It's just like, I mean, what, what do you do? It's like a bull in a china shop, maybe? Yeah. No, but uh, like even just he's sitting here, uh, Bill, the drive, uh, owner of the cars, like, told me like you push this and then you do that and then you have to you know scroll through all these screens to get to the settings you want. And I'm just I've just been running in Sport One because I'm just trying to uh, put on as good of a time as I can without really putting the car at risk, just because it's not mine. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so how has the drives the the transit been? So. Um, I've talked a little bit on the shows already, but uh, one lap of America each day is about uh, 10 minutes of actual track time and then 10 hours of transit time. Was that the experience that you were expecting or was that kind of something new? Yep, I was, I was kind of expecting that. Um, I wasn't sure how that was going to go. So, so like we, uh, we went to Memphis and then everything got changed because it rained. So we got no, no drag race. Uh, Bill did the first session, and I did the second, and then he did the wet session. And then we just hightailed it on, out of there. So, yeah, it's been about, yeah, I'd say about 15 solid minutes of track time and then 500 miles of transit time. Yeah, so it's it's interesting, right, because the, the event, uh, the last time I checked, was about $3,000 to enter. And when you think yep. about, um, where that money goes. I mean, you think about it as basically like a track day every single day. And so the math really starts to add up. The big difference though, is the amount of track opportunity that you get on each day is very small. So you're not paying necessarily for the on track seat time. What you're paying for is the intensity of the competition. Exactly. Yep, I think that's, uh, that was, that was one of the things when we first got brought up. It was, I've, I've been like a, like a cannonball nerd. Like I've, I've kind of followed Alex Roy and uh, Ed Bolin and like, you know, Brock Gates, obviously since forever. So like I've, I've always been fascinated by the, like the infamy of the whole thing. So like being able to be a part of that was a really big deal to me. But when I looked at it from a, like a, a dollar per track minute type of type of looking at it, I was like, oh man, is it really worth it? And like, even just you know, all it took was like showing up to the first event, like, yeah, it was worth every penny. It's such a gnarly, like, th- there's no experience like it. And I mean, you know that Adam and I do grid life stuff, you know, every summer, every spring, every fall. And there's something about this event that's just different. And uh, I think in part, one of the things that makes me love it so much is just how hard it is to do well. Um, because it's not... It's not exclusively a money game because, you know, money can't buy you a win here. 
Right, absolutely. Like you, you can buy yourself a, a nice, new, reliable car, but you still have to be able to make a teach event every day, uh, perform well at every event, and then hope the luck's on your side. Yep. And so one of the challenges, I mean, we've been talking to a bunch of the crew that is, uh, you know, we've been talking to Tom and, and uh, Brandon and a few others. One of the challenges with being up front is, you know, the track is fresh in the morning and that was apparently a problem today. Yeah, like there was a lot of uh, oil drive, like basically the entire racing line was uh, oil drive. So watching Tom uh, go out on for his first lap, he was... I wouldn't say all over the place, but you could just t- definitely tell that he was struggling to find grip and there was a lot of like dust clouds going up. So like he comes around the last corner to go down the front straight. He's like basically sideways in his, uh, his ER1 and then, you know, goes goes for it down the front straight. And I'm looking at Bill going, yeah, I won't be driving like that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, as, as you're getting some experience behind the wheel of the C8, what can you say about what can you say about the car and what it does really well and, and things that you wish it might do better? Um, basically, it does a lot of everything well. Um, just I think because we could kind of the conservative routes, it, it could have more tire, uh, grippier tire, which would make a huge difference on track. Um, we were talking to another guy that had a C8. I think if we had the track uh, alignment set up, that would make a difference with our lap times. But from like a transit standpoint, it's about as good as it gets. It's got the magnetic suspension, um, all the, you know, the, the heated or cooled seats, the heated or heated steering wheel, um, touring mode. It's what I really like is the for the for the transits. It's got a nice infotainment center, and you can run Android Auto or your Apple Play through it. So we have ways up on the screen, and it's just super convenient to have that nice display right there so you can see everything that's coming ahead any hazards uh, police stuff like that yeah absolutely have uh have you had any close encounters with uh law enforcement uh knock on wood we've gone really really well um without having any real incidents or, or even seeing a lot of police we've had the, there's a lot of presence of them in indicator as we rolled into town but at that point you know we're basically already at the hotel so um, you guys are a little bit farther back in the run groups. Tell me about what time you typically leave the track and when you typically arrive in the hotel. Oh, uh, let's see. So today we left about what, 3 o'clock? 3 o'clock, and then our arrival time right now is currently 10 o'clock. The first day uh, we took off, gosh, I don't know, was that 2 o'clock? Let's just say around 2 o'clock, we got into Memphis about 8.30. Uh, that was also the day that Bill had to scold me that maybe I was driving too fast. That I needed to dial it back, be a little bit more, less attention grabby. Gotcha. But um, one thing I have noticed about this uh, car is that people love a blue Corvette. Yeah. So we'll, we'll you know, be going down the interstate, coming up behind somebody, and they'll stick their arm out the window, and it's a thumbs up. Every time. It's just the weirdest thing. Well, it's a a really flashy color, that's for sure. I bet, you know, I I bet uh, Bill is right in making sure that you're under the radar. Yeah. No, we've we've been maintaining a pretty consistent speed, and we've made really good time with all of our travels. What about uh, range? I mean, um, you know, like, are you you finding that you get pretty good uh, distance between stops? 
we're doing about just over 250 miles per stop and we're still averaging about 20 miles a gallon. Well, that's not so too bad. It's been doing really well. Awesome. Well, uh, I, I don't want to keep you guys too long, but uh, I wish you the best for tomorrow and we'll probably check in with you in a day or so and see how things are going. Have a good day on Sounds track good. at NOLA. Yep, I appreciate that. Thanks, Ben. Bye-bye. Yeah. Welcome back to the Tom O'Gorman Show. This is your guest host, Abram Schmucker, and uh, <laughs> we're talking about One Lap of America because it's day three and Tom is in the lead. Did I come and do the whole show? Did I replace Adam? Uh, I think you've been on more this week than Adam has. <laughs> oh, no. People are going to hate that. But thank you. Yes, it's exciting. It's a cool week. So uh, today was Eagles Canyon. And yes. uh, the first session was complicated by uh, oil dry on the track. Tell me about uh, specifically the, the driving experience during your three laps in the morning. Oh my God. It was miserable. Uh, not to, not to sugarcoat it or anything, but it, today was kind of one of those days when we started and I got off track from the first session. I really thought like, man, it's over. Like it is just, this is, it's, this is when it all goes South. This is when one lap fights. It's just the end of the world. And I eored myself for a little bit in the car. And by the time maybe 30, 40 minutes later, a number of cars had run we started to do the math and realized that it wasn't nearly as bad as we thought it was. And in fact, might have actually helped us a little bit kind of, um, but yes, they had a, uh, a vintage race over the weekend and the track did a less than stellar job of covering up uh, the oil dry that they had put down uh, for whatever reason. So we were basically the, the track sweeper <laughs> as the first four cars that went out for uh, our, our first competition laps. And we had a chance to see it, obviously, when we walk the track or bike the track, whatever it may be. And then by the time we get to driving our warm-up lap or our, re our recon lap, we all realized how bad it was going to be. And, uh, I mean, it was essentially like driving in the rain on, on, I mean, all the corners. So the braking zones and the straightaways were, were not covered in oil drive, but online through essentially all of the corners uh, was was bad so i just resorted to a rain line i was driving around the oil dry uh billy johnson who actually won the session of our little four and it was me andy hollis alex moss and billy johnson on track at the same time uh he was basically climbing curbs up the inside of the track using some of the grass even on the inside of the oil dry trying to make it work and it worked a little better for him but oh, all of us came off track just like god that was the worst <laughs> so uh, yeah, the conditions improved during the session and like group two, group three, group four ended up going much faster than group one, which is unusual. Yes. The only other yes. time you typically see that is if like the track is wet in the morning for group one, but it dries out really fast uh, uh, with cars on track. Sure. I mean, it was essentially like that. So, I mean, our, our lap one to our lap three was markedly better. I think I improved from like a 216 to a 209 just in the three laps. Um, and then everybody else continued to get quicker after that. So I think the winning car cumulative time was a, a 627. Uh, mine was a 636. Uh, and I was 11th. So the top 10 was covered by that 10 seconds. But a lot of the cars that kind of ran groups three through five, um, for whatever reason, if they didn't do as well yesterday at Memphis, they got uh, definitely better conditions than us today. But like I said, it kind of ended up working in our favor 
a bit because we we still managed to beat most of the cars that were in the top five competition wise uh, like overall um, and they had a lot of cars between them and us so we ended up with almost double the lead we had from yesterday after that was all said and done it's kind of amazing which, isn't it yeah it's like i i kind of moped and and sulked for 30 minutes for no reason and then he's like well we didn't win but now we're still winning by more and how how exactly but uh, I don't know how how, re, how often do you talk about the points structure on the podcast? Uh, we haven't we point? haven't talked about it a ton, but we can. I was just curious if if people even understand how that's possible because I didn't understand how it was possible until about two weeks ago. But sure, essentially this. The, the, go ahead. Oh, uh, I was going to say so. Uh, I believe the number of points available is uh, what is it five times the number of entries? Is that right? Yes. Uh, and then uh, cars are. Uh, their finish position is determined by uh, their lap time uh, for the three laps. However, uh, it's not the duration that gives them the score. It's just uh, five points down from the next highest car. So uh, what it means is, is if, if even if you beat the next fastest car by 30 seconds on track, you still only get five points more than them. And what that does is it helps make each event really important uh, and also like uh, equalize massive speed differentials uh, at the expense of reliability, right? So uh, to win, you really need to be both quick and you need to make sure that you go to every event. Yeah, exactly. So this year we have 72 cars. The number of points total for every win is 360. And then, like you said, 355, 350, 345, and so on. But it's scored overall for every single event. So within your class, it's possible to finish second in class. But if you finish 40 positions back from the car that's next in class, you lost uh, whatever, 40 times. You lost 200 points to them. You know, it's it's like, is that, did I do that math right? I don't know if I did that math right. But uh, it's, You know uh, what? I'll like be honest. Said, I never really paid attention important. to classes because the goal was to just finish as high in the order as possible. Right. So now we're doing all of this, these, you know, these five point increment uh, points maths between, you know, for example, I think I finished 11th and Super K finished 16th. So we're like, okay, so how many points between us? It's it's not cumulative time and it's possible to have the best cumulative time over the week and not win the overall event, which is wild to me. But you're right. It really emphasizes every single moment the timer is ticking. Yeah, uh, and then we won the the afternoon session, so that one was a little more straightforward. Back once everybody was on the same uh, same page, which was nice. So, a uh, couple questions. Then uh, I was watching the afternoon session, and uh, there was a moment on the um, right before the last corner on track uh, where it sounded like the car made an upshift that you didn't want. Um, and you had to drop it back down. I think that's where it happened. But uh, what has been dry, or what has the automatic transmission been like to drive? You're an eagle eye. That's pretty good. Um, honestly, it's actually been perfect up until that lap. And this is the hottest condition we've had since I've driven this car all the way back to Road, Atlanta, uh, Road America last year uh, in testing. So the best I can figure is it was getting really hot and starting to try to save itself just a little bit. 
Um, I tend to request an upshift at about 6,000 RPM so that by the time it gets to red line at 6,500, it's already shifted. Got it. And it seemed to be grabbing automatic upshifts at 6,000 as well. So that happened three times on that lap, um, which, you know, I don't know how much of a hindrance that is with 750 horsepower. It definitely fell on its face a bit and it was a little, a little bit alarming, but I think it was just because it was getting hot and that's never done that before. So considering that was the hottest day we're going to have this week, that's, I'm not super worried about it, but gotcha. What an idea. Um, so, uh, what about tire wear? Uh, you, I'm sure that you guys are checking on things throughout the week. Does everything look okay? We probably should be looking closer to be honest, but, uh, uh, with all the wet running and kind of shortened up segments, uh, we haven't looked super closely. They look fine the, the, on, you know, the quick inspection, just looking, yeah, there's tread there, but, um, Historically, the PS4S doesn't have tire wear issues, and with Memphis being shortened up to three 40-second runs, the, this was really the first day that the tires got any wear. Um, so we're we're pretty comfortable with where they're at. There's not even really been any reason to check them, to be honest. <laughs> it's been, maybe we're bad crew. I don't know. Gotcha. But, uh, yeah, we need to look a little closer, maybe. Well, you talked about the horsepower number in the car. Uh, to my recollection, that this is the most powerful car that you've driven on track. Uh how does it compare to some of the more track-focused time attack cars that you've driven? Uh, it's a little bit more of a sledgehammer than a, than a precision tool. I think the Pro Awesome car might have been a little bit more powerful on kill. I think, it, I think they claimed it made 788 or something at, at peak power, but uh, that car never felt wildly powerful. You just got to a corner really quickly, and then it did everything else really well. Uh, this car is still a big, heavy car on tires that are smaller than it's meant for. And also, oh, by the way, has that much power. So it's definitely trick. Um, and the other thing I was talking about actually with Kaya, we have a little group chat going on this week, talking about top speeds today. And my top speed was only to like 120 really really fast and then when you hit fifth gear fifth gear is so tall that it just kind of hits an arrow wall and a gearing wall at the same time um so i think its strength really does even though it's a little bit grip limited in the rear with how heavy it is and with how little the tires are relative to the power it goes from you know the bottom of third to the top of fourth really fast and that's i think what's helping a lot on some of these tracks with the with the automatic transmission too gotcha and then I, I guess maybe the last question for the day, uh, and maybe Steve can chime in on this too if he's available. Uh, you guys have gotten the chance to get to know each other a little bit through testing and kind of pre-event preparation. Uh, what have, um, like, how have you guys learned to mesh uh, throughout the week to, to make sure that the, um, you know, the team is in the best position possible to succeed? Sure. Uh, he's trying to grab a little bit of sleep, so he's uh, on right now. But honestly, it's been so seamless, and I've been really, really uh, kind of, I don't know, honored, I guess, to join him on this because uh, I've always wanted to, but also the fact that we've meshed really, really quickly with very limited. I mean, we didn't really practice driving together. We didn't practice any of that kind of stuff. Talk about the flow of things. You know, he, he laid some of the ground rules early on. Like, you know, if you're not driving, you're sleeping, and then here's kind of the flow for 
for pit stops for fuel and uh we've we've really without much stumble kind of hit a really good stride so when we get to the track the first thing that comes off the trailer is the bike i go out for my recon night and he gets the car set the way we needed to set you know it's not much to do but tire pressures and check fuel levels and make sure it's got everything that it needs to it's that's plenty to do in the morning and we each have our tasks and then once i'm on track he's up at timing and scoring kind of keeping an eye on how everything's going and then you know when the last segment is done he's at timing and scoring keeping track of the top 10 packing up the trailer up the trailer and then i'm sitting in the car with the driver's seat uh, or with the passenger door open waiting for him to get in by the time we're ready to leave so that's really cool i don't know it's just really really natural just kind of get in and go and i think i mean that speaks volumes to how prepared he is for this event he's done it once or twice how we so. could have yeah yeah exactly so um i mean i I know that you're a very talented driver, um, but I'm sure that you're always looking for ways to improve. Do you have a data system in the car such that you're between the morning and the afternoon, you're trying to figure out how to get more? I don't. Uh, We have the PDR system that Chevy's come with, um, and I am mediocre at remembering to turn it on. I think I did a lot of my formative driving years without data in a way that helps me reflect pretty well without data. But sometimes I do feel a little guilty for not putting a little more effort into like going and checking that kind of stuff. Sure. Obviously today is an isolated incident with different track conditions morning to afternoon, but um, yeah, I think, I think I definitely could do better and should do better at that. But I also know that I'm pretty good at, reflecting on you know yesterday at memphis for example i knew in the morning where i didn't get the time and, the, and in the second segment i didn't get the time so gotcha kind of hit kind of hit this on i guess whether or not you can reflect on that you know gotcha and so as you guys make your way to uh, nola motorsports park tomorrow um yeah. i thought that you had said memphis was the only track you hadn't driven how recently did you go to nola I had the honor of blowing up my S2000 there last November. That's right. <laughs> um, well, I mean, you're going to be driving a car that makes 500 more horsepower. How will the experience be different? Well, I actually, the first visit I ever did at NOLA was uh, to give rides in the new Viper ACR when it came out about five years ago. Okay. Um, so I've, I've got three days uh, in, a, in Viper ACR at that track. So I'm thinking it'll be pretty similar. The cars are a little bit different in how they drive, but I think in, in the way they make speed is similar. So I'm hoping to kind of apply that experience to NOLA. Uh, the challenge will be I've driven NOLA in the drying slash damp in my S2000, and I've driven it to dry in Vipers and some other things. So uh, tomorrow will probably be dry in the morning and probably wet in the afternoon. So there's going to be some learning on the fly in both of those. Man, that uh, sounds like a fun day. Uh, what, yeah. When are you – actually, follow-up question. You spend an extraordinary amount of time in your personal car driving all over the country. Um, yes. How much of the transit driving have you been doing on this trip? Well, that's part of the, the ground rules that we talked about is since the, the track driver is amped from the track as soon as we come off track, uh, I drive first. And then we alternate every tank. So we're on our third tank of the day. So I'm back at the wheel uh, and we just kind of flip back and forth. Um, So I would say I probably ended up doing maybe 33, maybe a third of the transit driving total. He's done the other two thirds. Are you uh, pretty good at shutting your brain off and falling asleep in the passenger seat? 
Uh, kind of. Yes. I'm, I'm pretty good at turning a, a thing on Netflix and falling asleep to it. <laughs> gotcha. Well, I, uh, I think something that not often people talk about is like how challenging it can be to sleep in the passenger seat, uh, unless the, you know, you have this kind of like profound trust in the driver, uh, because it's very difficult to just like put your mind at ease and go to sleep. If you're not like fully confident that the driver is, is okay and awake and, you sure. know, not going to crash into a semi-truck. <laughs> True. I also have recently been introduced to the magic of melatonin. Oh, okay. Uh, so I started, I made sure to try it last week and, and get in a routine of like, how long do I need before I'm going to pass out and all that stuff. So, uh, that's, that's also part of my week this week is, uh, coaxing myself to sleep with a couple of melatonin gummies about an hour before I want to be passed out. <laughs> gotcha. But um, when you do that, are you pretty much down for the night until you make it to the hotel? Oh, no, no. It's, um, it's you know, you're, you're not like drugged or anything. But yeah, it's a good little nap inspiration or, or you know, two before bed. But uh, I mean, you're right. It's, it's something to be able to fall asleep uh, in the passenger seat. And I think, I don't know, I've been with plenty of people. My dad's bad about that he won't he won't fall asleep in the passenger seat unless he totally trusts who, I, who it is but uh yeah I, I mean that's part of the symbiotic you know relationship that we kind of fell into really quickly is the flow of everything has happened really quickly and part of that is the transit driving gotcha well uh maybe the last question is what time are you scheduled to arrive to the hotel tonight we are scheduled for about 9.50 local time, central time here. And then we are on track uh, 8.30 and 12.30 tomorrow. Awesome. Well, uh, for anyone that's not familiar with Tom and where he is on social, Tom, where can people find you on the internet? I am at Tomo Racing, no spaces on Instagram, and at T-O-M-O Racing on Facebook, Tom Racing. Awesome. Well, uh, we try to, to get links shared out so that uh, you can repost them because uh, you're famous and we're not. So we, uh, we appreciate <laughs> the support. Well, I appreciate you guys. You're busting your tail doing these like dailies with all these people. So uh, cheers to you for that. We appreciate that a ton. Awesome. Well, uh, have a great race in the morning and I'll probably talk to you tomorrow. Will do. See you. Have a Bye. good one. Slip Angle was created by Austin Cabot and Adam Jubay, co-hosted by Derek Yarbrough and production by Abram Schmucker, who mixes all of our terrible audio. If you like the show, please rate us and review us on iTunes and come and find us in the pits at a grid like to say hello. Hello.